My name is Matthew Becker. As the owner of a fitness facility and an attorney, I have a lot of things that I need to get done in a day. I've spent the last few years developing strategies that allow me to constantly move forward while also living the best life that I can live. On this podcast, I share those strategies with you along with other thoughts and ideas that allow you to live your best life through the concept of the aggregation of marginal gains. Hello and welcome back to the show. Oh my, how the last few weeks have proved to be quite the challenge in my life. A lot of different things have come up. Nothing too serious, a lot of different changes and things, but a lot of disruption to my daily schedule, which has caused me to have to make multiple adjustments in order to try to stay on that schedule, as well as really put a lot of energy into trying to come back to that schedule Um, that I like to keep as things were disrupting it. But alas, we are back with another episode. This time we are going to continue on this sort of concept or idea of stress and relaxation. A quick recap from the last episode where I talked about um, the need to relax, micro-relaxation, as well as the difference between relaxing and escaping. In response to that episode, I got a couple of different requests um, to further develop some of the ideas that I shared in that episode, and I think I'm going to do that starting after this one. For today's episode, I really wanted to focus in on um, what could be a potential cause of a lot of our stress. So the idea for this episode really came into focus while I was sitting at an ends of court meeting um, about two weeks ago. So I think I've I've talked about the ends of court once before on the show. It's a legal networking group by which you take a bunch of older attorneys. Really, I guess it's really attorneys of all age, but you um, have very seasoned attorneys and very new attorneys and everything in between. And we get together and we have a social hour and we get our continuing legal education credits and we do lectures, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, two weeks ago, we went up to the law school at Pitt and we um, had a meeting up there in which we invited some of the students from the law school who could potentially join the group in order to provide them with this networking opportunity once they graduate from school and move into hopefully some sort of um, the workforce as an attorney. And the topic was how to practice the law once you graduate law school. Um, Because I don't think it's any secret, but maybe just something that people don't really think about in the sense that it's common knowledge that law school does not actually prepare you for the practice of law. Uh, Law school teaches you the theory um, behind the law, uh, but then there's this whole other area of practice. And Some law schools have attempted to address this by offering various classes that are supposed to be similar to the practice of law, but um, rarely do they spend a whole lot of time actually on what it's like to practice. 
So I'm sitting in this meeting, just sort of listening to the various topics that are being discussed. Um, they kind of broke down practice into a number of different categories. I'm looking around and I'm watching the, uh, the various law students that are there. I think there were like three, four, maybe six of them um, listening to a bunch of quote unquote seasoned attorneys sit around and, and really kind of gripe about the practice of law, which I've always kind of found interesting. And we're going to kind of get into that as, as we continue to talk on this episode. Um, but I was trying to look at what was happening in front of these law students from the perspective of the fact that I was at one time a law student, and that was about uh, 10 or 12 years ago. And I, I feel like I'm still in that, that area where I can remember what it was like coming out of law school, um, even though I've been practicing for that long versus being an older attorney who just really seems to have no concept anymore of what it's like to come out and only know the theory and then trying to find a job and, and develop a practice and figuring out all that fun stuff. But um, I, I, I remembered being in the seat where those students were the other week and thinking to myself, boy, like these guys just make this job sound so cool. And I want to be like super busy like these guys. And I want to be the high producer. And I want to feel that pressure, what it's like when partners always want you um, to be doing this or that project. And one partner's trying to fight over your time, like another partner's trying to fight over your time. And you're working late hours and getting up early and making lots of money. And it just seemed very glorious at the time. And oh, how far opposite of that I, I have come. Um, but there was a area uh, that was talked about in this particular lecture in the very end of um, relaxing. And I thought it was kind of funny because I had just done a podcast on this. And here they are, a bunch of attorneys sitting around talking about how you develop a work-life balance and whether or not those actually exist in the practice of law. And I was kind of torn on the topic because in one sense... I wanted to say no in the beginning as a young attorney, regardless of where you go in the law, there is no such thing as work-life balance. And then the other side of me was sitting there thinking, I have achieved what I believe to be work-life balance. Um, I know a couple of other attorneys who have achieved what they would considered to be work-life balance. Um, it is certainly possible. You just have to take control um, of those things that, that, you can, that you can control. And I think that's very distinct. And we're going to kind of hone in on that as, uh, in, in a few minutes. But I had also just read a book, um, Sell or Be Sold by Grant Cardone, and in it, well, actually, I'm sorry, I didn't read it. I listened to it um, on audiobooks or, uh, or Audible or whatever. But um, Grant Cardone talks about how in order to be super successful, you cannot expect to have balance in your life. Like you have to go 100% into this and you have to be all about it, et cetera, et cetera. Because if you aren't fully invested in what it is that you're trying to do, then you're not going to be gung ho. And you're going to worry too much about rest and relaxation, separation, 
and you're just not going to put enough time and effort into it in order to be super successful. Now, I would argue that I believe Grant Cardone is talking very much about financial success, uh, which is a totally different topic. Um, But here I am having this internal debate about whether or not I'm going to speak up and start sharing my thoughts and opinions on this and come off as that person who thinks they are the know-it-all and and above everybody else and start talking about control and stress and separation? Or am I just going to sit there and, and continue to listen? And I got really close to speaking up. Um, when one particular attorney started talking about how he wishes that somebody had the secret to work-life balance because he cannot find it. And I was like, all right, I'll just kind of listen to what this guy has to say because this is a very interesting concept. Could please continue? And he starts talking about how he's a big fisherman and he likes to go on these trips, but he can never get away from his clients to the extent that anywhere he goes on a trip, he has to make sure that he has some kind of access to a Wi-Fi network because his clients have this expectation that they can get a hold of him 24-7, even when he's on vacation, and that he must respond to them. He even said that he will take a satellite phone with him just in case he is somewhere that doesn't have any service so that, or doesn't have any like Wi-Fi or data or anything so that he has the ability to call and talk to clients if it's necessary when he said he's like goes somewhere like Africa or the Amazon somewhere to to go fishing. And if you've listened to the podcast, you can probably imagine that I'm just sitting there like ready to explode listening to this guy. And then I'm looking around at these poor students watching them listen to this guy and I just wanted to like turn to him and be like, oh my God, do you not understand what you are saying? Like you are the epitome of somebody who cannot separate themselves from your work. You are the epitome of somebody who has no stillness in their life whatsoever. It's no wonder you can't strike a work-life balance because you have this internal thought for whatever reason that you have to respond to your clients, you have to be accessible and available 24-7 or these people are going to leave. Like, what value are you really providing that your clients are so willing to go elsewhere if they can't get everything they want any time of the day, all the time, right? And what expectation are you setting for your clients that says you have access 24-7. And if you want that access from your clients 24-7, fine, stop complaining about it. So this was my internal monologue. Um, But in the meantime, while I'm sitting there listening to this, it really sparked the topic of today's episode, um, which is the difference between get to and have to. Um, If you are a reader of the Daily Stoic, if you listen to anything involving stoicism, if you've listened to Ben Bergeron talk on uh, chasing excellence, you have probably come across this concept of get to versus have to. The difference is you get to, you, sorry, let me, let me, let me rephrase that with emphasis here. You 
get to do things in life. You don't have to do things in life. And I really wanted to turn to this attorney and try to explain to him in as short uh, of, of an opportunity as possible <clears throat> that you make the choice in your life to be 100% always available to your clients. And if that bothers you, you need to make the decision not to allow that constant access. You don't have to respond to these people. You get to respond to these people. So I wanted to use this as a segue into this concept today of get to versus have to. Uh, there's a couple of different um, sort of areas by which we can focus into on get to versus have to. Uh, first and foremost is this idea of overcoming adversity. Right? We've talked about the idea of overcoming adversity on the podcast before and looking at adversity as an opportunity to grow, not as a roadblock preventing us from getting somewhere. So when life throws us a curveball, whether it's hitting traffic or um, a flat tire, I don't know why all of a sudden I'm on, 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 I'm on like vehicle issues, um, a loss of job, all right, a missed opportunity in, in, in not being hired, all right, whatever the adversity is that ends up in, in front of us, if we have an, um, an, a, a growth mindset and we approach life as looking forward to adversity, then we can use that adversity to grow um, as an individual and ultimately still either end up where our goals need to be or finding a different direction to something that's better versus if we have a fixed mindset and we look at adversity as a stopping point, something that we're going to shy away from, then we're never going to get there. Um, we're never going to get to uh, our goal or have an opportunity to grow. So when we hit adversity, you have to look at adversity as the opportunity to grow. So this is a chance to get to do something. This is not a chance to have to do something. Right? You get to take some time in traffic to turn your radio off and reflect on what's going on, but you don't have to, right? So when we look at the realm of adversity, we should be looking at the challenges that we approach in life as the privilege of getting to face some kind of hardship because we know that we're going to be bigger and better for it in the long run. Another concept around this get to versus have to is ultimately accepting the control that we have in life. From a very broad perspective, the only control that we really have in life is the control to make decisions. Now we're getting really nitty gritty here philosophically, but if you really want to sit down and dive in on this, think for a second about how much true control you have over things. Sure, you might have a perceived level of control, right? I can lift my arm up in the air. I have control of my hand, right? I could call in, um, I don't know, an employee and ask them to do something. And if they do it, I have control over that employee, right? So we can have this perceived idea of control, but in actuality, we don't have control over those things. At any point, 
my body could decide that I develop some sort of autoimmune disorder that attacks the muscles in my arm and I become unable to lift my arm. It, it happens. If I call my employee and ask him or her to do something, they could say no. All right, and then what am I going to do? I'm going to fire them? Like, they have that ability to say no. And so once I accept this idea that really I only have control over my decisions, then any decision that I make is either one, a decision that I'm making for on my behalf, or two, it's a decision that I'm making because I'm letting somebody else influence my life. And how this relates to stress is we can look at stress and we can see that stress is oftentimes a separation of what we would like to be doing versus what we feel like we have to do. Okay? So when what we feel like we have to do doesn't align with what we want to do, then oftentimes that is where stress exists. Another way of putting this is stress exists when our actions don't match up with our desires. So in other words, let's put this into real terms. I'm at work and I'm stuck at work and it's getting close to the end of the day and I want to go home. That's my desire. I want to go home. I want to hang out with my wife. I want to hang out with my dogs. I want to eat dinner. And my boss walks in my office and says, hey, I need this report on my desk in the next hour. Okay, now what I have to do, because I feel like I have to do it because I want my job, versus what I want to do, which is go home and spend time with my family, are now in conflict, and boom, we have stress. Let's look at another example. Finance and money often cause a lot of people stress. Why? Because what we want to do with our money and what we feel like we have to do with our money are often in conflict. And that's where stress starts. I want to buy a new car, but I can't because I have to pay for rent, pay for utilities, pay off my student loans, pay another debt. So what I want to do and what I feel like I have to do are in conflict. And in the middle, we have monetary stress. So in order to start to eliminate this kind of stress from our life, what we have to do is we have to accept that we don't actually have to do anything. You don't have to do the work that your boss gives you to do, right? You don't have to pay your bills. You don't have to do whatever is on your to-do list. There may be negative consequences that come as a result if you don't do these things, But even if somebody puts a gun to your head and tells you to do it, you still don't have to do it. There is no way that anybody can actually force you to do anything. They can provide you with enough negative consequence that you feel compelled to do it. But nobody can actually force you to do anything. Everything that you do is a choice that you make to do it. You weigh the options. If the option of doing it outweighs the negative consequences of not doing it, then you're going to do it regardless of whether or not you want to. 
what you want to try to do is you want to try to align what you want to do with what you end up doing. So in other words, you get to do things. You don't have to do things. And the more that you look at opportunities and the things that are on your to-do list or that assignment that your boss gives you or the money that you have to pay out in order to afford the lifestyle in which you live, when you look at those things as get-tos instead of have-tos, then your perception of what you do in life automatically changes. So let's go back to this concept of this attorney who is going to the Amazon on a supposed vacation when really he's taking a satellite phone with him so that his clients have an opportunity to get a hold of him at any time that they want. He feels like he has to be available to his clients at all times. No, he doesn't. He chooses to be available to his clients at all times. Now, he might choose that because the lifestyle that he wants to live requires him to make the money that he needs to make from the clients, but that's the choice that he's making. If he doesn't want to live that life, then he can easily tell his clients to go shove it because he's going to take a week to himself and not be bothered by them. And if they decide they want to take their business elsewhere, that's fine. All right, that's the decision that he made. If he's going to make a decision that requires him to be available to his clients 24-7 so that he can make money, so that he can afford the lifestyle that he wants to live, fine. Don't complain about it. You made that choice. You can't be stressed about it. And if you are stressed about it, then what you want and what you feel like you have to do are not in alignment. Or should I say another way, what you want and what you get to do are not in alignment. And then we have stress that's caused in the middle. And then you feel compelled to complain about, oh, I can't find proper work-life balance because I have to work all the time. No, you don't. You get to work all the time. You choose to work all the time. And we can look at this all over the different areas of our lives. If you feel like you have to do something in your life, you need to sit back and you need to look at it. And you need to say, if you don't want to do it, then does the requirement to do it outweigh the potential consequences of not doing it? And if you feel as though it does outweigh the consequences of not doing it, then you need to change your perspective and look at it as you get to do this because this in some way, shape, or form enhances your life or somebody else's life. And because of that, you get the privilege of doing it. And once you can change your perspective to see that you get to do something instead of you have to do something, then that area of stress goes away because it's no longer the separation of what you want to do versus something that you have to do. So how do we start to adjust our lives to live a more get-to life versus a have-to life. I think I just made that up. Uh, a get-to life versus a have-to life. Um, first and foremost, just change your language. Become aware of how many times a day you say, I have to do X. I go to my wife. My wife says, what do you have to do tonight? I don't have to do anything tonight. All right? I'm choosing to do something for whatever benefit that I get out of it. Okay, but I don't have to. I don't have to be here available to privately train clients tonight or meet with clients or coach a class. All right, I could tell everybody to go pound salt because I want to go home and I want to sit on my couch. But if I do that very soon, I'm not going to have a couch to sit on. 
And if that's enough motivation, fine. And when what I'm doing aligns with my purpose, which is helping other people become better versions of themselves, then any opportunity I get to help somebody is, I get to do this, right? I don't have to do it. To look at something that I get to do that aligns with my purpose and make the claim that I have to do it, right? There's a conflict there. And now I have to make the choice of how do I want to resolve the conflict? But anyway, so when my wife says that, my response would typically be, well, honey, I have to do this, this, and this tonight, right? I have a 4.30, I have a 5.30 meeting. So what I would challenge you to do is start to look at this and start to change your language so that my response isn't, honey, I have to I have a 4.30 and I have a 5.30 tonight that I have to do. It's more like, well, honey, I get to train so-and-so tonight at 4.30 and then I get to train so-and-so tonight at 5.30, right? It's a privilege. It's not a requirement. And after we start to bring... Um, awareness to the words that we are using, we try to change those words. And you can do this with your friends or family if you if you think they will be perceptive to it. Um, if you are the type of journaler that I am and you keep a to-do list, just change the title of it. It's no longer a have-to-do list, which is usually how it's perceived. What do I have to do today? Well, let me make my list of tasks, right? You can change this very simply. And it's, it seems kind of silly, but it's not. You can change this very easily by writing in your journal, what do I get to do today? Another story that came up that's kind of like in this, this have to versus get to is um, making sure that all the things that we get to do, that we take advantage of and we appreciate that we get to do these things, that I have the ability to do them, right? Don't confuse my words there. So I'm training a woman the other day privately, and she starts to complain that she has to do a particular exercise. And for those of you who are listening and are familiar with CrossFit or other high-intensity workouts, you're probably familiar with the assault bike, which nobody really loves the assault bike. Um, because it is a very difficult thing. It's very draining and get your heart rate spiked up really quick. And it's very uncomfortable over a, a short period of time. And she's kind of griping about it. Um, and I know that she's also kind of in this mindfulness field. And um, I got a little bit snarky in the middle of the workout with her. And I said, you know, you don't have to do this. All right, you get to because you have the privilege of doing so because you have functioning legs. Whenever you're in your dark period on the bike, remember, there are a lot of individuals in this world who either don't have functioning legs or don't have any legs at all, who would give anything that they could in order to be able to ride the bike, because that means they get to use their legs. You have that privilege, so appreciate that privilege. You get to ride the bike because you have the ability to do so. And it worked. You know, I I said it. I wasn't that sort of like serious when I said it. I said it with a a much more sort of sarcastically jovial tone to my voice, but she understood what I meant. And she's, Oh yeah, you're right. You know, I should, I should appreciate the ability to do this. And it kind of flipped her mindset in the middle of the workout. Um, and that's, I think that's a, another level of awareness. Once you change your language from have to, to get to remember that you get to, because you have the privilege and ability to do so. 
And there are other individuals in this world who would do anything in order to get to do what you get to do. All right. So as you go through your week this week, try to change your language a little bit from have to into get to. It might start with just making a notation in your journal about your get to list. These are the things I get to do today. The quote for this episode really brings together sort of an overarching theme of today's episode. I've mentioned it a couple of times, and it's the idea that what we get to do should be in harmony with what we want to do. And when those things are not in harmony, um, if you will, then that is where stress starts to enter our life. I guess to tie this together, sorry, side thought here at the end, with last episode was the individual who told me I need to relax. And my reaction to him or my response to him wanted to be, no, I don't, because I am relaxed. Is because on a daily basis, I try to do as many things as I want to do. I try to get to do as many things as I want to do so that I rarely ever feel like I have to do something. I make a choice to do it. So I don't have that stress entering into my life when there's conflict between what I feel like I have to do versus what I want to do. Anyway, the quote. This episode's quote comes from another Stoic philosopher. This is not a theme that is going to continue that just happens to be relevant to these various episodes. The quote is, The task of a philosopher. We should bring our will into harmony with whatever happens, so that nothing happens against our will and nothing that we wish for fails to happen. End quote. That's by a, a, a Stoic philosopher named Epictetus. Guys, spend this week trying to turn have-tos into get-tos. See if that doesn't change your perspective on what you get to do throughout your day. I'll talk with you guys soon. As always, thanks for listening.